Good afternoon. It's Friday the 17th of July 2020, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News, your host today, Mike Robinson, myself, Brian Gerrish. Well, the Russians we, are coming again, Brian. Yeah, um, we just don't know where to go, do we, with uh, what is jumping around in the uh, press and the media. So let's kick off with the BBC. And uh, we had to take a look at the BBC's reporting of the papers. So, of course, here's the key uh, headline that goes with it. Newspaper headlines, Russian um, hackers and the jihadi bride return. So it's it's like an advert for some really bad, cheap play, isn't it? The Russian hackers and the jihadi bride returns. And then this is uh, what the uh, BBC puts together. So we've got the Daily Telegraph. Russia tried to steal UK vaccine research. Uh, we've got the Metro. Russia tries to steal our vaccine. Uh, I, Russia spies, tried to steal UK vaccine research. Guardian, Russia tried to steal virus research and interfere in the election. They're so busy, these yeah, Russians. Absolutely. It's incredible. Uh, Russian spies tried to steal our vaccine. Uh, the Star, the Dukes of Biohazard, Ru Rusky spies caught trying to nick our Corona cure secrets. At least there's some humour in that one. Boris at war with his COVID experts. And uh, uh, what have we got here? Uh, Russia accused of trying to hack vaccine uh, research and the Financial Times, Russia hackers looting vaccine research warned spy agencies. So um, well, there's another one, the mirror. I missed that one. Yeah, thank you, Mike. Russians, <laughs> Russians trying to steal vaccine secret. So it appears that the, U the uh, UK press, all acting independently, of course, have come up with the fact that the Russians have been out to steal all of our vaccine secrets. Uh, absolutely. As, as they say in the chat box, it's quality journalism. Uh, well, yesterday afternoon, the BBC, this was their website, Russian spies target coronavirus vaccine, and they had a nice red graphic there. So what's this all about? Uh, well, here we go. Uh, it's this, uh, an advisory from the National Cybersecurity Centre. Now, you'll notice it's not just from the National Cybersecurity Centre. We'll come on to that later on. Uh, but the advisory says uh, APT29 targets, uh, or AP29 targets, COVID-19 vaccine development. Uh, so what are they saying? The NCSC assesses that AP29, also named the Dukes, or Cozy Bear, almost certainly operate <laughs> as part of Russian intelligence services. So... Almost certainly, uh, but uh, many people remember Cozy Bear because Cozy Bear was a key uh, group within the Russiagate narrative. Um, keep that in mind for a little bit later. Uh, they say AP29's campaign of malicious activity is ongoing, predominantly against government diplomatic think tank healthcare and energy targets to steal valuable intellectual property. Uh, they say the NCSC has previously warned that APT groups have been targeting organizations involved in both national and international COVID-19 responses. Uh, no, known targets of AP29 include UK, US and Canadian vaccine research and development organizations. The group uses a variety of tools and techniques, including spear phishing and custom malware known as WellMess and WellMail. Uh, we are 95% confident that the attacks we investigated came from Russia was pretty much what they said. Uh, and uh, well, here is uh, uh, 
Uh, Mr. NCSC himself, Paul Chichester, saying we condemn these despicable attacks against those doing vital work to combat the coronavirus pandemic. Um, so, well, he was followed up with Dominic Raab uh, saying it's completely unacceptable that the Russian intelligence services are targeting those working to combat the coronavirus pandemic. And, and Brian, uh, when you came in this morning, you said exactly what I'm about to say, because we both <laughs> yeah. had come to the same conclusion. Um, if this uh, pandemic was serious enough to require uh, an effort, surely it should have been a global effort, in which case, why were the Russians needing to hack anything to get access to uh, so-called intellectual property? Surely, sure. if it is as bad as it's being expressed as, then this is something that uh, should have been shared with the Russians? Yeah, we've got a global pandemic, allegedly. Um, people are dying, people are suffering. We, the British, uh, presumably with the Americans, have got the uh, solution, or we think we have, but we don't want to share that with the world. No. So, and why wouldn't they want to share it with the world? Profit, it's to do with profit on what's about to take place worldwide. So just phenomenal. Absolutely. So the timing of this, uh, very, very interesting, because, of course, a lot going on around the Intelligence and Security Committee of Parliament. We'll come on to the, the, some of the stuff that's going on with that at the moment. But if we think back to uh, uh, Russiagate UK, this was uh, sub, sub, sorry, 17th of October 2019, uh, the Intelligence and Security Committee uh, sent its report, which they entitled Russia, to the Prime Minister, and this, of course, was alleging Russian interference in British elections, uh, Brexit and so on. Uh, well, that was then, uh, and then, of course, Boris didn't make that uh, report public, or he didn't give permission for that report to be made public, uh, and that this became quite a furore. Uh, that the committee is now going to release the report next week, so it's been given the go-ahead, or uh, apparently, or they're just going to go and do it anyway. Uh, so that's uh, that was stated yesterday. And this uh, whole thing has created quite a furore, as we say, uh, because, yes, on Wednesday, uh, the Intelligence and Security Committee got a new chairman. Uh, that was this guy, Julian Lewis, uh, formerly uh, a Tory MP. He's still an MP, but he's no longer a Tory MP. He was formerly the chairman of uh, the Defence Committee. He's now the chairman of the Intelligence Committee. Uh, and he said, in recent days, the official number 10 spokesman explicitly denied that the government was seeking to parachute a preferred candidate into the chair. Uh, it, it is therefore strange to have the whip removed for failing to vote for the government's preferred candidate. So uh, because he got the job, uh, he's claiming that, the, that he's had the whip removed because he didn't vote for the, the, the government's choice. Nonetheless, the point is that uh, the timing of the claims about hacking um, the, uh, the the var the vaccine uh, intellectual property yeah, come at exactly the same point that this is uh, back in the headlines. What's it about? I suspect there's a fair amount of interference or p attempts to interfere in the U.S. election process going on here by the Brit British government, not by not by yeah, the Russians. Yeah. Either we're to assume that there's some extraordinary coincidence occurred that means these two come to the surface um, with the timing they do, or this is orchestrated behind the scenes. And I'll just say for me, it's becoming more and more obvious that what we've got is orchestration of policy behind the scenes. It's who's carrying it out. That's the key question, I think. Um, so uh, that is the key question. And uh, 
what kind of orchestration is going on, to what degree is stuff orchestrated. Brian, you showed all the front pages all covering uh, a common narrative. That's just coincidence. Just, just a coincidence. Well, is it? Let's have a look. Um, so let's have a look at uh, the UK government's propaganda network. Now, Mark Sedwell is at the top there because, of course, he's still in post for another month and a, and a half or so. Uh, and he, of course, uh, chairs the National Security Council and therefore has control over the intelligence services, as we've mentioned many times before. Um, but uh, Mark Sedwell, uh, also as head of the civil service, uh, is, has been in charge of this little network this is a counter disinformation and media development program run by a guy called Andy Price. And of course, it was focused mainly on Russian, so-called Russian disinformation uh, and focused mainly outside the UK. So they were aiming, they claimed, to counter disinformation outside the UK, Russian disinformation. Uh, and therefore, they were helping de to develop media uh, um, narratives in other countries to, to counter that, what they described as disinformation. But the problem was, that they then started funding this little organization called the Integrity Initiative. And the Integrity Initiative had working for it uh, some very key journalists in the UK. And we, so we started to see a, an anti-Russian narrative appearing in the UK media. So this foreign office uh, organization uh, started working internally to the UK. But then we saw other things developing through the Cabinet Office over the last couple of years the Rapid Response Unit, uh, the National Security Communications Team, 77th Brigade, 13th Signals. This has all brought the, that counter disinformation and media development program effort right into the domestic arena away from the foreign yeah. arena. When I look at that diagram, Mike, you're looking at a Soviet system where there is no difference between the spying apparatus of the state and government, foreign policy. It's all mixed in to, together. So I'm going to say my opinion, I look at that, that is a Soviet system which has been formed and yet this has been formed inside our so-called democratic government. Right, but even that doesn't show the whole picture. So keep in mind integrity initiative, um, because of course this was the type of stuff that, the, that was being pumped out through the uh, mainstream press a year or two ago. Revealed ex-KGB ex agent met Boris Johnson, Johnson at Italian party. Uh, but actually, when you go and look at, uh, at who wrote this and how it therefore may have been spun, it was Carol, Carol Cadwallader, who was on the list of Integrity Initiative journalists, as we highlighted all the way through our reporting of the uh, Integrity Initiative situation uh, as that was ongoing. Uh, and uh, then she she didn't rest with that particular article. Later on, after Boris had become prime minister, she was pumping out this kind of thing, uh, a tweet here. This is where Boris Johnson was that Friday uh, at NATO summit on Russia's reckless and destabilizing activity as foreign secretary in the midst of the Skripal crisis. Incredibly, he then slipped his security detail and flew to Russian's house to meet ex-KGB agent. Uh, the man is now our prime minister. And she was this, this, the recklessness of this is off the charts, and so it went on. You've got to always remember that everything she's pumping out here is as a member of Integrity Initiative, and there they have an agenda to push forward. Uh, the same with Edward Lucas. Now, Edward Lucas had given evidence uh, to the Intelligence Committee, uh, which ended up in that uh, Russia report. But can anything that Edward Lucas uh, be taken? on face value with Russia, uh, with respect to Russia? Well, of course not, because he was also integrity initiative. 
Uh, and another person who gave evidence to that report uh, was, of course, Christopher Steele, uh, absolutely at the heart of uh, the uh, Russiagate narrative. And so at the heart of the whole integrity initiative infrastructure and at the heart of this control of the narrative network. Um, let's move on because, of course, we find the same people involved in the Skripal affair. Uh, and, of course, we've got to remember that Christopher Steele was also involved in creating the report on Litvinenko, on the Litvinenko murder. Um, so uh, this is the kind of picture that we're seeing. Uh, going back to the National Cybersecurity uh, Centre document, Yes, it was uh, UK's NS, uh, NCSC involved in writing that, but also Canada, the Communication Security Establishment, uh, USA, Department for Homeland Security, Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, and also the USA, the National Security Agency. So these were the four groups involved in this. So we've got to remind ourselves of the other key aspect of this, uh, and that was the uh, rapid response uh, mechanism which was launched at the G7 in 2018 by Theresa May and the whole point of the rapid response mechanism was that you had a an agreement internationally for a common narrative and that that common narrative is then expressed through the mainstream media uh, and so this isn't just a UK level thing this goes internationally all I've shown you here today is the UK network that that allows this stuff to go the UK mainstream media absolutely complicit in this uh, and, of course, relying on government money now for their very existence. Uh, what this does to the whole idea of us living in some kind of democracy, democracy yeah. uh, it throws it out the window. Yeah, perhaps we can just add here for people who've just joined us today or maybe people who are new to the UK column. There's some pretty heavy material coming across at the moment. Mike's giving a lot of detail about what's happening inside the country. We think that this is the very material that should be on the front page of all these newspapers because we're now starting to ask who is really governing the country, who is driving the policy and the agenda behind the scenes. And what's clear as a minimum is that it's not easy to see anymore. So we're supposedly living in that democracy, Mike. But when we actually look at our system of government, we are looking at something. And this has just been um, uh, a message of support for the comment that it's a Soviet system that's mm -hmm. appeared. Uh, it's now appearing within Westminster. And of course, the majority of the MPs utterly ignorant of what's happening around them. They're not part of the key team. They're just the small boys and girls on the outside of the inner meetings. So this is immensely dangerous and we need to get the lid off it because these people, we're going to suggest, form the government of occupation. Uh, absolutely. Now, uh, on Wednesday, the chief of the air staff's air and space power conference was held. It was a virtual conference, of course. Uh, this is all about information advantage for the next generation Air Force, they say. Uh, and the, the wonderful uh, Ben Wallace, our Defence Secretary, was speaking at it. Uh, and he had this to say, uh, I have a vision of UK defence where we're able to join the dots between space, air, surface and subsurface uh, so that the sum of the parts means much more than the value of individual parts. And if you can work out what the heck that means, uh, you're better than me, perhaps. But uh, I just uh, will just highlight the key words there, subsurface. We'll come on to that in a little bit. Uh, but he went on to say this requires rebalancing from industrial age to information age cap uh, capabilities, investing in cyberspace 
electronic warfare, AI, robotics and autonomy, coupled with their integration with the best of what already exists. So we'll be glad to know that the government uh, also announced at that uh, virtual conference that they have just uh, uh, released or spent £65 million to build the first three protector aircraft. These are called protector. Um, these are autonomous, of course. Um, they're going to enter service by mid-2024. Uh, and, uh, well, these are pretty special because these are the first uh, military drones uh, which have been certified to fly in commercial airspace. So the, you don't need any special airspace to fly these things in. They can fly in any airways or any uh, airspace, of course, controlled remotely. Um, and uh, so Ben Wallace was very excited about that. These are cutting-edge aircraft. Apparently, they're going to replace the Reapers that we use at the moment. Uh, and, of course, they're all about uh, killing people remotely. Brian? Uh, yeah, and the people who can order those deaths, Mike, we're now showing we don't even know who they are, or we're certainly saying they're not accountable to anybody. So we're, we're, we're entering a very, very dangerous phase in the UK, and it's, it's important that people start digging and asking the questions. Uh, absolutely. Now, that original quote from Ben Wallace, talking about joining the dots between all these various aspects yeah, some, of air warfare, but he did mention subsurface, uh, uh, Brian. So... Uh, uh, I thought this was quite funny. So this is uh, the report out from the uh, uh, Marine Investigation Act, uh, MAIB, yeah. sorry, that yeah. basically talking about a, a near miss between a Stena line ferry and a nuclear submarine. And they say that on 6th of uh, November 2018, the lookout on board the ferry Stena Superfast 7 uh, spotted a submarine's periscope close ahead. The officer of the watch then took immediate and effective action turning the ferry to avoid a genuine risk of collision uh, with a submerged submarine. The, indicated, the, sorry, the incident happened because the submarine's control room team had underestimated the ferry's speed and overestimated its range, resulting in safety-critical decisions being made based on inaccurate information. Although there was no collision, this was the third accident or incident between a uh, dived Royal Navy submarine and a surface vessel in four years, which is a matter of significant concern. The Royal Navy cooperated with MAIB's investigation into response to this uh, and the other similar incidents. However, I've today recommended uh, that the Royal Navy undertakes an independent review of the actions that have been taken in order to ensure the risk of similar colli collisions has been reduced to as low as possible. But that, I think, Brian, is uh, well, you, could, you are better qualified to, to comment on this, but that that is a pretty spectacular image on screen at the moment. Yeah, we, we, we've got a periscope there at the top left of the screen. Um, what I would like to say is uh, immense well done to the Stenner uh, crew because um, although that periscope looks easily visible now in the wider sea state while they were on passage, it wouldn't have been. And I think their lookout and bridge team deserve enormous credit. But we've got to ask ourselves what was actually going on for the nuclear submarine to get that close. He's come up to periscope depth, hasn't done a proper all-round search. Um, but a ferry traveling at quite some speed, immensely noisy. So there's some form of breakdown here. Mm -hmm. And I think that these are the sorts of things that are indicative as we see these massive transformational change changes going on wherever we see them, whether it's the NHS or education or in industry or the military, we then start to see breakdown. So this is a major failure. I'd love to know what was actually going 
um, what, what was actually happening on board the submarine and what the actual quality of their team was. Maybe it was We're, full of French. Pardon? Maybe it was full of French. Maybe they couldn't, yeah, they were having trouble speaking French. Maybe a love affair was going on. That's happened before where the officer of the watch of a ship wasn't talking to the second officer of the watch who had the navigation, uh, well, was conducting the navigation and they ran on a, a pinnacle. And that was because of sexual relations going on aboard the ship. So what was happening here, I don't know, but well done, the Stenner crew. Yeah, absolutely. Well, some good news for us, and that's that uh, money is still coming into Ian Crane's uh, fund. We're absolutely delighted about this. So the total this morning was £33,086. There's still uh, a regular flow of donations coming in, and some of them are very significant. So thank you to everybody who's done that. We've spoken to uh, Ian earlier today. Uh, he's just finished um, part of an alternative treatment. We're not able to tell you what, what he's actually doing at the moment uh, because um, his personal, personal medical wishes need to be respected, but also we need to uh, protect the people who are kind enough to offer assistance with his condition because, of course, they could put themselves at risk of a very draconious British state. But Ian says he's taking each day as it comes. He has good days and bad days. But the thing that this um, fundraiser has done for him has given him options. And he would like to say once again, thank you very, very much to everybody who's donated um, to help with his uh, future treatment. We'll keep you updated. Um, well, we're back to the BBC, Brian, and the papers again. Uh, well, we are. And uh, what, we, what, what we're seeing, Mike, it's, it's actually getting quite difficult to describe because it is so bizarre. Uh, but essentially, the, the BBC is manipulating on every single article it's, it's putting up on its website. So we're back on the headlines of the papers again, newspaper headlines, virus vaccine hopes and mask madness. So it's not danger to do with masks, it's just a bit of madness. But then you will suddenly faced with a photograph of Chris Grayling. This is their web page. I haven't manipulated it in any way. And what does it say with the headline, uh, sorry, with the image which goes with the virus vaccine, hopes and mask madness? Uh, well, it's basically saying that he, he's... Um, well, he didn't become the, he, the yeah, chairman of the Intelligence Committee. Yeah. That, he, was the, yeah. he was Boris's choice. Absolutely. So there we go. Uh, Chris Grayling failed to be voted to chair the Intelligence and Security Committee. So you're on the BBC page, you're looking at the article, your head is full of vaccine material, and then the image projected to you is on a completely different subject. Why would the BBC do this? Because they know that when you do this to people, you're actually confusing them. This is driving their subliminal thought processes. This is applied behavioural psychology. It's designed to stress and confuse people. But of course, the BBC pu pu uh, pumping it out. So this was a um, screenshot of earlier today, the main BBC news page. And we've got fear propaganda. Three billion to help the NHS, but it's to prepare for the second wave. So here's the BBC preparing you for that. Coronavirus with an ice cream, 10 things you can do this summer. So you, you haven't got a job. You can't visit your aged parent in a nursing home. Uh, but BBC is saying to your subliminal mind, well, don't worry. Um, don't worry, you can go and have an ice cream on the beach. 
Um, it's treat- as a socially distanced ice cream. Uh, yeah, this is treating adults as if they're children. That's why it's in cartoon image. Then we've got swells leaving Australian homes at risk of collapse. Um, British Airways reti- retiring the entire 747 fleet. Coronavirus morning update. Um, hospital wedding for terminally ill patient. This is all fear propaganda, but of course, COVID is at the centre of it. Um, but, uh, well, we're going to go into a little bit of the coverage of this in the mainstream press, but we wanted to start with this. This is the CEBM, the Centre for Evidence-Based Medicine at Oxford University. Why no one can ever recover from COVID-19 in England, a statistical anomaly. Uh, and this is uh, by a guy called uh, Yoon Lok. Uh, and uh, Carl Hennigan. Um, and well, here's what they, well, they, they quote the uh, Public Health England here saying, linking data on confirmed positive cases identified through testing by NHS and PHE laboratories uh, and commercial partners. So linking that, uh, those positive cases to the NHS demographic batch service. Uh, and they say that when a patient dies, the NHS central register of patients is notified. This is not limited to deaths in hospitals. Uh, The list of all lab-confirmed cases is checked against the NHS Central Register each day to check if any of the patients have died. Um, So the implication in this article from the Centre for Evidence-Based Medicine is that the death numbers are being overstated. Yeah. Uh, And, uh, well, Brian, that has resulted in a Daily Mail article and, in fact, right across the mainstream press again, that Matt Hancock has launched an urgent review into this, what they're describing as a fiasco. Has he? Well, who knows? Because nobody knows what's going on in in government at the moment, Mike. And the latest Matt Hancock interview, which uh, uh, was on a video clip, uh, we saw yesterday or or Monday. Um, Well, he hasn't got a clue what he's doing. No, he, he simply doesn't know what he's talking about. So there's the main headline. This was the uh, bit I picked up on. Over a thousand people may have had their deaths wrongly recorded as COVID nineteen. I think well, that's massively understating. The absolutely, situation. but I think this is this is um, a political understatement by a professional in order to protect themselves. Now, this is the man who's been brave enough to come forward, Yoon Loke. He's professor of medicine and pharmacology at the University of East Anglia. And he says in the article, my best guess is that more than a thousand people have had their deaths wrongly recorded as caused by COVID-19. Now, this is a brave man to speak out, and I can imagine that he's going to choose his words quite carefully. But what he says does hit home. The statistical flaw is likely why the daily death tolls hardly seem to be going down in England. Now, that's a statement itself, isn't it? Because we've got the whole economy shut down. We've got um, 600 and something thousand people have lost their jobs so far. And he's saying, well, actually, this seems to be created. This is what the man's really saying. By this Public Health England definition, which counts people as victims if they die of any cause at any time after testing positive for COVID, no one with COVID in England is allowed to, quote, ever recover from their illness. Mm. So this is a health um, professional really driving home the key things as to what uh, the lie of the government position is. Unless the public health, sorry, unless Public Health England changes its system, all 
292,000 people who have tested positive so far will be added to the COVID-19 death toll when they eventually die. That could be in 10 years. Could be in 10, 15 years. But again, um, what this really applies to is we know in hospital people have died of heart attack. They've had cancers for years. They've got other compounding illnesses. They die. And then the statistics are being deliberately falsified in order to say that that death was COVID. And on the basis of that, we can have the public locked down, mm. wearing masks, the BBC causing trouble. Now, at the end of the Daily Mail article, some classic reporting by the uh, Daily Mail. The Department of Health has blamed low numbers on Sundays and Mondays on a weekend effect which means paperwork doesn't get completed. We, so, Mike, just to bang on a bit, we, we've got a 20% plus drop in the economy. We've got half a million plus people without jobs. We've got people who can't conduct normal business and go in the shops, except they're putting their health at risk with a mask. And apparently this is because we can't get the statistics right and paperwork isn't too good on a Monday. Yeah, but but I've got to I've got to hammer the Daily Mail here. This is a disgraceful statement for them to make. They have said the Department for Health has blamed low numbers on Sundays and Mondays on a weekend effect, which means paperwork doesn't get completed. But the Daily Mail has systematically, since the beginning of this, run headlines saying, "Great, there are only 80 people died last night. Great, there are only 90 people died last night. Oh my goodness, 200 people died on the Monday." Right. They have consistently used this fact that low numbers on Sundays yeah. and Mondays, uh, on Saturdays and Sundays, uh, have meant that they could report one thing, which, of course, as you say, this is applied psychology again, because they report that uh, apparent positive uh, movement on a, uh, on a weekend. And then on a Monday, they hit you with the figure, which includes the deaths weren't reported on the Saturday and Sunday. And it seems that actually things haven't gone been going so well after all. The Daily Mail is absolutely guilty for this, and that sentence in itself is a disgrace. Okay, so let's follow this through. But academics are increasingly confused about why they are such wild variations and why the number of deaths seems to remain so high. So British academics, remember that we're supposed to be a lead scientific country in the world. Our academics are apparently all confused. They can't do their sums and they can't work the numbers out. But the gentleman we've just shown can clearly do his sums. And he's saying he's not using these words. But what he's actually showing is that the British government is lying in order to carry out an agenda. And these deaths are being falsified and twisted. Well, it goes on. It appears to be simply that anyone who dies after being added to a register of people who have tested positive is classified as a victim. Well, that's the statement of what is happening. But of course, what the Daily Mail is not doing is any proper investigation to show the numbers um, that are being used. So it's currently impossible to know how many of the deaths announced by the Department of Health were not actually, excuse me, <coughs> caused directly by COVID-19. That, that's another disgraceful sentence because the Daily Mail will be the first to say that people died of rather than with. They are the first to do that. Yeah. And, and so the, the hypocrisy here is staggering. Staggering, Mike. But uh, the Daily Mail reporters are just not up to it, Mike. They can't, they can't actually do any proper investigative reporting. Uh, the last investigative reporting they did of any 
quality was on common purpose and they used mainly UK column information in their 11 pages but they can't do anything in this and the BBC deals with it by simply not covering it at all so um, we are warning now that what is this government control of the, the media absolutely is that what we're looking no, it at? is absolutely but the media yeah. is now beholden to the government for their very existence uh, and so they dare not uh, criticize in any way because the advertising revenue will set up will, will dry up you think about how much government funded material is appearing in the mainstream press at the moment it's a disgrace including embedded government articles which we showed earlier on uh, absolutely or, or this week absolutely <clears throat> now the vaccines manufacturing and innovation center this of course it was announced a few months ago was going to open 12 months ahead of schedule 93 million pounds government investment into this uh, and uh, which is which was allowing it to open early uh, and of course uh, they were um, not just uh, spending money on that 84 million pounds to AstraZeneca for 100 million doses of the Oxford vaccine uh, and 38 million rapid deployment doses for the entire UK population uh, this was announced uh, some time ago uh, well uh, it's on progress apparently and thank you very much to the, the person who sent us this uh, uh, this is from Cell to Wales. This is one of these websites that provides uh, uh, tender documents, tender information for contracts. And this is, uh, they're now looking for a software solution for quality control, micro environmental monitoring data at the Vaccine Manufacturing and Innovation Centre uh, UK. So that's clearly moving forward. Um, and uh, well, basically, they're saying that the manufacture of pharmaceutical vaccines must be performed under regulated control conditions. These constant control conditions are essential to guarantee a consistent quality of manufactured products. Uh, this also applies to the staff working in clean rooms. Uh, regulatory directives, therefore, require monitoring of the environmental conditions, including viable and non-viable particles, and monitoring of the personnel during the manufacturing process. So they're looking for software to manage that monitoring process. So that's one bit of virus news. The other bit of virus news is with respect to this, because of course, uh, AstraZeneca already manufacturing the Oxford vaccine, despite the fact that no approval has been given yet. Who needs approval for it? Uh, we'll come on to the clinical trials in a second, but I just wanted to highlight a couple of uh, interesting freedom of information requests uh, in at the moment. Well, in fact, this first one has been rejected. Uh, and I'm hoping that it will go for an internal review. Uh, but this is an interesting one. It's on the What Do They Know website. Agreements between Oxford University, AstraZeneca and Vaxitech uh, referencing the CHADOX1 NCOV-19 vaccine or CHADOX1 vector technology. Uh, and the question is quite interesting because it says they want, the person wants uh, all agreements. This may include, for example, contracts, license agreements, memorandum of understanding between Oxford University and Vaxitech signed since the 1st of January 2018 uh, until the most recent date referencing the CHADOX1 NCOV-19 vaccine or the vector technology. Now, the technical name for the vaccine that's, that uh, Oxford is developing here is CHADOX1 NCOV-19. It's made from a virus called uh, CHADOX1, which is a weakened and non-replicating version of a common cold virus which has been genetically engineered to express the SARS-CoV-2 spike protein. Um, so I'm fascinated that this person uh, is asking about uh, contracts, license agreements, memoranda of understanding, 
signed at any time since the 1st of January 2018. That seems a long time ago for, uh, for Oxford to be signing agreements about this particular vaccine. But anyway, uh, they also want all agreements uh, between Oxford and AstraZeneca signed since the 1st of January 2018. And they also want uh, all joint agreements between Oxford University, Vaxitech and AstraZeneca since the 1st of January 2018. Now that uh, at this point has been denied uh, on the basis of commercial sensitivity, uh, which is an unfortunate uh, way for uh, people to avoid giving information out. Uh, and it has been used many, many times. And then another one that I just want to highlight is this one, AstraZeneca vaccine deal. Uh, and uh, this one saying that in the middle of June, Matt Hancock stated the following during the daily coronavirus live stream that AstraZeneca has struck a deal with the manufacturer of the Oxford vaccine. Uh, they're starting manufacturing now, even ahead of approval, so we can build up a stockpile and be ready, and be ready should it be clinically approved. And the question is, could you please provide me with the minutes of any meetings at which this deal was discussed? Uh, I need to understand whether First of all, AstraZeneca was assured that it would be paid for production of an as yet unapproved vaccine, whether or not it's finally approved, or whether AstraZeneca has been assured that the vaccine will be approved no matter the result of clinical trials. So that's the question that's been asked. Um, and uh, on the subject of clinical trials on this vaccine, of course, uh, we reported a few weeks ago that uh, the Oxford group had effectively said, or the Oxford vaccine team had said, uh, that they couldn't, ha that they were very disappointed that uh, coronavirus was was uh, tailing off so quickly in the UK because they didn't have enough people to test the vaccine on. Uh, well, they have apparently decided to go to Brazil now uh, to run that trial. So the trial of the Oxford COVID-19 vaccine has started in Brazil uh, because there aren't enough people in the UK that they can uh, trial that on. So they're going to be taking some of the street children Possibly. Couldn't, couldn't possibly comment you, you on You need a few people as troll guinea pigs go go for the down and outs uh, and the street children. Uh, I'm sure everybody will I'm sure everybody will get full disclosure of what the risks are, Brian. <laughs> right. Well, against the background of everything we've reported so far, the good news is that uh, Boris has come up with a mere three billion pounds uh, which he plans to give the NHS to get it battle ready for winter. So great headline there terminology battle ready a little bit of uh, second world war terminology boris and uh, his image helps there as the strong politician um three billion mike uh, just popped up from nowhere only a couple of years ago we hadn't got money for the roads or education now all of a sudden we're into 2020 and it appears that money just pops into the government's pocket um, well, we, we might have a little to say about that later, but, but okay. the, the question is if it's, a, if it's real money or not. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so this was um, uh, talk, discussed in a briefing. The Guardian video here um, actually had a, a, an opening before Boris was present. And it was interesting to see that, of course, the Behavioural Insights team has uh, been in and got their propaganda all in position so that everybody is sitting there knowing what the message is before they even hear him speak. This is very, very important stuff. The Behavioural Insights team cooked up from the Cabinet Office. We're going back to 2010. They were boasting that they could change the way people thought and behaved. And they are now working alongside the government to control the public mood around 
coronavirus. Now, remember, they said we can change the way people think and behave and the individuals won't even know we've done it. Or if they realize that their behavior has been changed, they won't know how. So if you think your opinion of what's happening around COVID is your own opinion, the British government is boasting that it, uh, not, that's not necessarily the case. And the government has been so, um, uh, so buoyed up with the success of this campaign that the technology has been sold to Australia and the states and other countries. But Behavioural Insights team driving the propaganda to turn communities against each other if you don't follow the line. So the headline here is Boris, but behind the scenes, don't forget that Behavioural Insights team. And then we'll just say that on the subject of money, uh, the Financial Times here uh, saying that UK is on track to sell 533 <laughs> billion of debt this year. Of course, they're not selling it at all, Brian. They're, they're printing it and it's being bought by the Bank of England with printed money. Indeed. So let's make people aware of this. An extra 110 billion in scheduled gilt issuance set to take total to more than double the previous record. Uh, this was one of the paragraphs with the government planning to issue 37 billion a month. We didn't have any money, but we're going to issue 37 billion a month in new debt between September and November. This puts the nation on course to issue 533 billion over the whole of 2020-21. And then the key bit is the previous annual record for gilt sales was 227.6 billion in 2009-10 in the wake of the global financial crisis. So we got the smokescreen of COVID and under that smokescreen or behind the smokescreen, uh, we are creating more and more debt. And of course, that is people and uh, institutions being sold. But the good news is uh, the good news is that uh, the, the debt won't cost as much because the little tiny, tiny sub headline under the picture said that UK borrowing costs have fallen to record lows in recent days, despite the flood of new bonds. Good stuff. So that's that's good. Well, here's some proper comment. Martin Beck, lead economist, Oxford Economics. He says that this is a startling high number. The financial crisis has already changed our mindset about what constitutes a high level of public debt. But this crisis has blown has totally blown that out of the water. So this man, what do we think of economics? This man is pretty stunned and he's not alone. Here's Jim Levis, who's a bond fund manager. He says it's hard to get your head around these kinds of numbers. It wasn't very long ago that an additional 10 billion was newsworthy. Now that's just a rounding number. Well, this is it. I mean, thinking back to 2007 and 2008 and the mainstream press coverage of the financial crash and the types of numbers yeah. that they were talking about. And, and they were expressing the, these numbers as, as being uh, unbelievable, eye-watering numbers that uh, impossible to comprehend. Uh, and those those numbers that they were talking about just then are just like window. pennies. Yeah. Yeah, unbelievable. So we don't know about coronavirus. We can't get the statistics right. We don't know how many people have died. But behind all of that, we're issuing these phenomenal sums of money, which are, are just coming from nowhere. What would they be used for? Well, we'll do that another time. Well, absolutely. But we don't need to worry because uh, the City UK is coming to the rescue, supporting UK economic recovery, recapitalizing businesses post-COVID-19. 
Um, so what, what are they talking about? Uh, well, they want to launch a UK recovery corporation. Uh, we might call this a, a bad bank, I don't know. But anyway, it's a, it's a UK recovery corporation. Uh, the government would be the principal investor in the UK recovery corporation. Having borrowed the money, presumably. Well, no, this, is, this isn't about government borrowing. This is about uh, the government buying up the debt of all the companies that, that got the emergency loans during the COVID crisis. Uh, Brian, so this is all about the, the unsustainable debt that small and medium-sized enterprises uh, aren't capable of coping with because they've all had to take these bridging loans, uh, which are government-backed. So anyway, they're saying the government should be the principal investor in UKRC initially. Debt could be sold off in portfolios later or securitized and sold to private investors. Can't imagine where we've seen that type of thing before. But anyway... Uh, Larger debts, uh, greater than a million pounds, would have access to a business recovery capital initiative to convert crisis loans into preference shares or other kinds of subordinate debt. Uh, and uh, so this is this is all very exciting. So anyway, this is uh, this proposal uh, is has been compiled with HM Treasury, the Bank of England, and the Financial Conduct Authority, as well as business trade associations. And so uh, it's they're saying that it represents a wide spectrum of business sectors and sizes. Uh, and uh, the, these results, these uh, proposals are the result of intensive work by over 200 financial experts from across 50 financial and related professional services firms, led by the City UK Leadership Council Chairman, Sir Adrian Montague. So I think that's fantastic. We're going to solve the problem by securitizing all the debt of the small businesses, uh, put it in a bad bank, and hope that maybe people will uh, will buy that up at a later date. Yeah. Yeah, great. <laughs> uh, but uh, as for uh, for jobs, as Brian has said, uh, let's have a look at the Office for National Statistics website. And the first thing to note is that there will be no uh, labour market economic commentary in July, uh, because apparently from April those were stopped, strangely, uh, and they're going to be replaced with something that's quarterly. But let's just briefly have a look and see what... Uh, what they were saying, UK company payrolls fell by 649,000 between March and June. As Brian's already mentioned, 650,000 people lost their jobs between March and June. We will not see the proper job losses until the furlough scheme actually ends at the end of October. Uh, so the fact that this is this scale already is pretty spectacular. Uh, they say that the over, overall jobless rate was unchanged, though. So we've added 649,000 people to the jobless uh, figures, but the jobless rate is unchanged. So new jobs are being created during COVID? No, 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 no. These people are unemployed, but the, but the jobless rate is uh, unchanged. Just, I mean, it's easy to get confused these uh, days, it is, isn't it? It is, yeah, 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 yeah. And they went on to say that 47,000 more young people are unemployed than 12 months ago, but the jobless rate's unchanged, <laughs> okay? Just, just to make sure everybody you, understands that. I think that. somebody may be lying here, and I think it's the British government. Well, I'm not sure, but, <laughs> but, but anyway, they, they, they then produce a nice little graphic uh, showing what the situation is. And as they point out on this graphic on the right-hand side there, 9.3 million people uh, reported to be on the... Uh, furlough scheme, 9.3 million people. Wow. You know, you've, the, the scale of this is un unbelievable. And, and, and the BBC says to them, don't worry, go and have an ice cream on the beach. Uh, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, and, uh, well, another little graphic from this. This is the largest annual de decrease in total actual weekly hours on record. Uh, and, uh, well, you can see how that, that's been reported so far. So that's only up until May. 
but anyway, it's pretty, pretty amazing. But don't worry, never let a crisis go to waste. And certainly Centrica is the latest company not to let a crisis go to waste. They're basically telling their employees, uh, if you want to keep your job, you need to accept a new contract of employment. Terms and conditions are different. You won't get any time and a half or double time for overtime. You won't get any uh, you know, pay rises, this kind of thing. Uh, accept, the, accept the new contract or go away. Or go away. Attitude. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, we're just about out for time, but I'm going to end by putting this book on screen. I've talked about this many times over, over the last 10, 15 years. Uh, the European Union collective enemy of its member states by a gentleman called Christopher Storey, who's unfortunately no longer with us. Uh, you can get this as a PDF, and I'm going to encourage our viewers and listeners to do it because in the front is a table which is talking about what was planned uh, for Western democracies in order to undermine them and collapse them. Um, I've put a little bit of this on screen. Uh, every area of society, religion, education, media, culture, law and order was to be attacked. And then on the right of the page was the uh, out uh, uh, desired result. So, for example, education, permissiveness, relativity, and what did you want to achieve? Ignorance, zero historical knowledge. Uh, but if you uh, look there, you can see words like political correctness, groupthink, Luciferian fog. And I think we're watching that as we try to report on the news. It's evident that there is a fog of lies and inaccuracies and spin by the mainstream media. Law and order, people commenting on the, the breakup of law and order in this uh, country. What was going to be done? It was going to be made legislative, imposed, inconsistent an unwarranted bias in front in favor of the offender victimization of the victim so my challenge to viewers and listeners is get hold of this have a look through it goes on it covers many different areas and what is it saying that the agenda is to break down the uk as a as a western democracy in order to install a new system of government and ultimately, it's warning about violence on the streets, the breakdown of law and order on the streets. So the question we'd like to uh, leave you with is who is driving this policy inside UK today? It's clearly happening. That's our challenge. And is it an external power or is it a self-imposed government of occupation? So this book would have us believe that this is all exterior communism, but what we're watching is actually happening inside Westminster today. Is it that simple or is this also connected with the money powers? But uh, for a few pounds, not very many for that PDF copy, uh, challenge you to have a look at that table and compare it with what you see happening in UK. We'll leave it there. Thank you very much for joining us. Serious times for UK. And if you are writing letters and receiving fob off replies from your MPs, don't be disheartened. It is the fob off reply, which is the item that you want because this shows your MP failing to do their job out of incompetence, ignorance, bloody mindedness, whatever it is. Those letters are the ones that should be circulated to other people and we need more of them. So don't sit at home and worry. Pick up the pen, write those letters exposing what's going on, demand answers from people in uh, Westminster who should be making a difference. We'll leave it there. Bye bye.